0: Well, we're about to study the Bible. This is a fun day, but you're going to miss a lot if you don't use your mind because the Lord has something to say to us today that maybe you've never seen before. So let me pray one more time. Watch you guys stand up with me as I, just, as I pray. Father, thank you for the excitement of what you are doing in the world. Thank you for, that we get to be a part of this epic drama that you are writing across history. And we just ask that you use the people in this room to finish it, so that you, Lord, will get what you deserve, what you paid for, Lord Jesus, with your blood. Teach us now, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, if this is your first time here, you're kind of looking around thinking, is this leftover costume party from Halloween? Yeah. Or, I mean, if you look around the world, you see lots and lots of different kinds of people, right? Yeah. And if you... Our think, a thinking person, you've probably asked, what's all this about? I mean, nothing happens without God's purpose in it. God must have a purpose in all of these things. So what we're going to talk about today, I think you guys are going to say, that's what God's doing. I get it. And for us to understand what he's doing in the world, you got to go way back to and get some history. So you guys remember, God created humanity, and he put humanity, Adam and Eve, in the garden, and as you read through that, you start to realize the garden doesn't encompass the whole earth. There's the garden, and then there's outside of the garden. And it seems like there's some problems out there, and so God's given humanity the responsibility to subdue the earth and take charge. And then you get to chapter 3, and you realize, oh, there is something going on here. There is some evil outside the In fact, that evil has come into the garden and that evil, the devil, succeeds in convincing Adam and Eve, humanity at that time, to rebel against God and go their own way. And the result of that is not only does the devil somehow get some kind of authority or right to this planet, but Adam and Eve, humanity, loses its place in the garden. And humanity goes from bad to worse, if you guys don't notice. And so by the time you get to chapter 11 of Genesis, humanity realizes, man, we're messed up. And we got to do something or we're going to destroy ourselves. So they kind of huddle together and say, we're going we're to do something about this problem. So let's read about it. In Genesis eleven four, they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that, underline that, so that, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. You see what their motivation is? Their motivation is strength and security through unity. You guys see that? Verse 5, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Now this is really significant because what the Lord is saying is if they can unite, they will get to the point where they really believe that they are invincible. And God loves them too much to let them think that they are invincible without him. And so he does something about it. Verse 7, he says, Come on, let's go down and confuse their language so they will not be able to understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there over the earth, and they stopped building the city. Now, you, you got a lot of questions there, right? You think, that's all we get told about that? Well, there's more. There's more in other parts. And before we look at some other scriptures, I just want you to think about verse 7. Verse 7, notice that the Lord says us. Come, let us go down and confuse the right. Who's the us? Now, there's lots of opinions about this. And we want to ask everybody's opinion. But there's some other scriptures. Actually, one scripture in particular that we're going to look at. Right now, that's going to help us to understand maybe a little more what's going on here. It's probably a scripture you guys haven't noticed before in regards to this story, in regards to what, hap- what happened here. But let's fast forward a long time to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, verse th- or chapter 32. Now, remember, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses explaining to the children of Israel their history. Kind of what had happened as they came out of Egypt. And in verse 8, he says this, which most of us kind of scratch our heads and skip over, don't pay a lot of attention to, but I want you to pay attention to it. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance. Now, who's the Most High? Let's talk about the Lord. The most high, why is he called the most high? He's the most high. You guys read this in other parts of Scripture, that he's the most high. In other words, compared to all those gods of the nations, he's way above them. He's the most high. When the most high gave the nations, now what does the nations mean? We think, well, that's all the people groups. Well, almost. It's all the people groups except for Israel, exactly. It's all the people groups except for Israel, Every time that we read about the nations, this word in English is confusing, but it's talking about all those other people groups other than Israel. So when the Most High gave the nations, all these non-Jewish people, their inheritance. Now, what's inheritance? It's not talking about your old cell phone or an old gold watch that your grandpa had. It's talking about land area. You guys with me? So when the Most High gave the people groups of the world, the non-Jewish people groups of the world, their land areas, when he divided the sons of man, sons of man, the descendants of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Okay? And you think, okay, what does that mean? Okay, what I want you to notice is the... Contrast between the sons of man who are getting this inheritance and the mention of the sons of God, so who are these sons of God? Notice what it says: they received their inheritance according to these sons of God. okay so who are the sons of God every time in the Old Testament, a reference is made to These persons or these entities called the sons of God, they're entities that were created directly by God, not through biological reproduction. You guys with me? The sons of man, the descendants of Adam, were biological reproduction of some sort. And so the only human that the Bible calls a son of God before the New Testament was Adam. Why? because he wasn't created by biological reproduction. You guys with me? So who are these entities then? Well, these sons of God, quote-unquote sons of God, are those rulers and authorities, powers and dominions, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that we read about in other parts of the Bible. We just don't usually think of them as called sons of God. They're fallen angels, who even after the fall, after the rebellion against God, they still laid claim to areas of this creation and still said, we're not letting go of this. And so what God does is he assigns, this is really strange, he assigns all these people groups to be divided among these areas that are claimed by these fallen angels. And we think, huh, that's weird. But this is even stranger because what he says in verse 9 is he says, but, and that's an important but, he says, but, so all these are distributed among these land areas, these geographic boundaries. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob he's talking about Israel. He's talking about the land of Israel. In other words, I'm going to keep this land for myself, this one little spot of land, and I'm going to choose a small people group, because i got a plan to reach the world through them. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his, allot, his allotted inheritance. The Lord, he's saying this is my inheritance. These are my people. Now why would God do such a strange thing? You guys with me? Yeah. Are you guys scratching your heads yet? Some of you might have to think about this later on and study it more. But why would he do this? Well, It's kind of a mystery in the Old Testament why he does it this way. But when you get to Acts, Paul explains. Remember, he shows up in Athens and he talks about what God's done. Acts 17, 26, we get a hint of what God was doing. Okay? Acts 17, 26, Paul's speaking to these non-believing people in Athens. And he tells them, and he He, speaking of God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth having determined their appointed times. You guys still with me? And the boundaries of their habitation. Now what's he referring to? He's referring to what we just read in Deuteronomy. What Moses had spoken 1,500 years earlier. He's saying that God determined where these people were going to live. And then he tells us why. You guys want to know why? The why is verse 27. That they would seek God. So that they would seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him. I want you guys to see what his plan is. You guys see what his plan is? He said, I'm distributing all these people groups in all these places that are claimed by these fallen angels. And I'm doing it Because I'm hoping, well, he's more than hoping. He's got a plan to bring everybody to himself, including those dispersed people groups. And he planned to do it through the Jews. But not just for the Jews. He planned to do it so that he would get all people. And so what does he do? For the next couple thousand years, he's working towards his plan by focusing his attention on this little people group that he claims for himself, the Jewish people. Okay, you guys still with me? You guys got to follow this or all this epic drama won't make sense. And how do the Jews respond? They don't respond very well. They seem to resent him. They seem to despise him. He works on loving them, training them, teaching them, protecting them, guiding them. And they act like they despise him. In fact, not only do they despise him, but they despise all those other people groups too. They look down on those people groups. That God has a plan to use them to reach. You guys with me? And so they build this temple. And on the outside of the temple, they put a wall on the outside of the temple, the far outskirts of the temple, and says, if all you people groups want to come and worship our God, you can do it. But you guys got to do it from out in the parking lot. You stay out there. In fact, if you don't obey that rule, we're going to kill you. There, There were signs posted around the temple in this dividing wall, in this barrier that warned people who would try to come in who were not Jewish. In fact, let's, we've got a, uh, one of those signs that's been dug up from archaeology. There's the sign. Can somebody read that for us? Okay, let me tell you what the sign said. And this is not the only one. There were lots of signs posted. This is what the signs said. Foreigners must not enter inside the divided wall. Stay out. No trespassing or into the forecourt around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Understand? You come into here without being a Jew, you are dead meat. So, where does that put you and me? Unless you're Jewish, we're on the outside of that. We're looking from a long way away worshiping God from a distance. Now, was that God's plan? God had a plan that was way bigger than that. He tells us about it in Ephesians 1.9. Circle this scripture in your Bible. Ephesians 1.9, got it up here. And he made known to us. So Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. And he God made known to us the mystery of his will. Why is it called a mystery? Because nobody understood what God was doing. It was a hidden plan of God. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. He wanted to do this. And the plan was, what was he going to do? Well, let's look at verse 10. Let's look at verse 10. The second part of verse 10, this is what it says, to bring... All things in heaven and on earth together in unity under Christ. Can you put that up there? Verse 10? Let me say it again. To bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head Jesus. What's the plan again? What's the ultimate goal of God? It's to bring unity between all the people groups on this planet and all and heaven and earth and whatever else there is to bring unity under King Jesus. That's what he's going for. So then how does he do it? Well, you flip a few, a page later and he tells us about it in Ephesians 2.11. And this is what he says to people like you and me. Therefore, remember, Paul's right, and he's like, don't forget guys, you, who are Gentiles naturally? There might be one or two Jews in here, but probably all of us are, are Gentiles naturally. Remember that you, the Gentiles in the flesh, were Gentiles in the flesh. Looked in verse 12, skip down to verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. We're standing out there in the parking lot looking from a long way away. We were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. We had no hope, guys. And without God in the world. But now, verse 13, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, way out there on the other side of the wall, not able to get in without putting your life on the line, you who were formerly far off have been brought near By the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. Who made both groups, speaking of the both groups, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. These people who before had this dividing wall between them. Who made both groups into one and broke down. Do you guys see this? And broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. The barrier was obliterated by Jesus' death broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity. Let's skip down to verse 17. And he came and preached peace to those of you who are far away, and he preached peace to those of us who were near. He's talking about the, you Gentiles. He preached peace to you. He preached peace to the Jews. For through him, we both, we all, have access to one spirit by one spirit to the Father. So then, where does that put us now? So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, with Jews, and are of God's household. You guys get this? That's where we are. Okay, so where do, so think about this now. Therefore, there is No more division between Jews and Gentiles. No more division between rich and poor. No more division between black and white. No more division between slave and free. No more division between male and female. No more division between Mexican or Filipino or Bulgarian or Japanese. Because we are one in Christ. Now let me ask you guys this. Think about this. Does that mean that when we we come to Christ that we all become Jews and lose our cultural identity? No way. We don't lose our cultural identity when we come to Christ any more than we lose our personal identity. The way that we talk, our accents, our culture, it is magnified in a way that glorifies Jesus when we come to him, but it is not erased. But when it comes to position or privilege, then none of those distinctions, none of that diversity matters anymore. Nothing that we are personally, or that we are culturally, or that we are racially, puts us above or below anybody else, any other group, because we are bought with the blood of Jesus. We are one in Christ, and all the barriers have been taken away by the blood of Christ. And any government or any law or any person or any school system or any regulation that, does, that speaks anything different is of the devil. And I want to state to you, my friends, that I hate racism. I hate discrimination. I hate it. And this church hates it. And we hate it because Jesus hates it. And we're going to work together. We're going to work together to bring unity in the body of Christ and to eliminate racism and celebrate Jesus forever in a 1,000 different languages, 10,000 different languages, and in 10,000 different cultures. And the question is, here's the question. Will Will you join us? Will you join us in that? The people of the world are going to spend their time arguing about critical race theory and about discrimination and about border control and about affirmative action. And I'm not saying that none of that is important. I'm just saying that doesn't change the world if you argue about it. What changes the world is you loving the person who is next to you on the bus, or at work, or in the line at Walmart, whether or not that person agrees with the way that you think. Unity is not us all agreeing together. I mean, you guys can't even get your wife and your kids to agree on what kind of pizza topping to get. How do you expect the people in this land who don't know the author of unity to get along? They won't and they can't. What unity is, is where you say, they don't agree with me, but I love them anyway. That's something you need to do with what I'm saying right now, maybe. You don't have to agree. In fact, Grace Community Church is filled with diversity in how people think. You don't have to think like everybody else to love them. So the way that we change the world, my friends, is we love the people around us, whether we agree with them or not. Will you do that with us? Will you do it? What we're celebrating today is not a museum of culture. It's not simply a taste of ethnic food. What we're celebrating today is the unity of all ethnicities, all languages, all people groups who are brothers and sisters because they share a common bloodline and that is the blood of Jesus. That's what we're celebrating. Let's celebrate that today. Let's celebrate it tomorrow. Let's celebrate it for eternity. And let's do that here at Grace today. Let's do it on our homes. Let's do it on our streets. Let's do it on our schools. Let's do it across this city. Let's do it across this nation. And after this service, let's do it in the parking lot across the way. You guys are invited to be a part of that. We're going to celebrate over there after one more song. We sing international style.